This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. I have got a fresh batch of the best questions that Steelers Nation could come up with. Labs, why waste any time? You want to just get right to it? I, I want to know who you got to answer them. If they're the best questions, you need somebody with the best answers. So. I got that person right here. It's oh. you, Labs. Come with on. This, with this ball and chain around my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We keep you tethered into this studio, just answer, answering questions 24-7. Let's get after it. Tom Mahalik from Suffolk, Virginia, has the first question today. He's asking, when Ben Roethlisberger is in the shotgun, is there any reason why our center bobs his head right before the snap? I noticed the Packers were getting off the ball super quick, and I also noticed the Packers' center did not do that. Okay, well, that's part of the um – silent count mechanism okay the way it works is um and this only worked the the reason the Packers center wasn't doing that is because the Packers were at home the Lambeau field crowd was not trying to disrupt their offense so uh Aaron Rodgers had you know relative quiet uh in which to work okay the Steelers did not so the, the 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 play is called in the huddle the team the visiting team in this case the Steelers come up to the line of scrimmage they get lined up. Okay, so Ben will either um, you know use his foot or something to um, put a man in motion or whatever it might be, and then you'll see Trey Turner. He's got his head looking back towards Roethlisberger. So when Ben does the 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 uh, foot thing or whatever, he'll slap Kendrick Green on the side. Okay, that triggers the start of the silent count mechanism. Now, with Pouncey, they didn't do the head bob thing because he was a 10-year veteran. Kendrick Green is a rookie. So then he will bob his head, and that signals to everyone, okay, we're, we're live now. So the count is either in the huddle, they'll say on one or on two. I don't think they will do it on three with a rookie center in a venue like Lambeau Field. Okay, so... Uh, he bobs his head. That's one. So you, you're not supposed to move. Okay, then Ben might do something else or call something else or, you know, some decoy thing. Then he bobs his head again. Then if it's on two, then then the, then the ball's coming out right after the second snap. Right after the second uh, Second bob. bob I mean. Yes. Okay, so that's that's what's going on. Now, uh, hopefully, you know, you're, you're mixing that up so that it's on one sometimes, some on, on two sometimes. But the head bobbing thing is to alert the other nine guys because Ben knows what it is, uh, the center knows what it is, um, the other nine guys to uh, when the ball's being going to be snapped. You mentioned that Kendrick Green does it more than Pouncey did because he's a rookie. Do you notice younger centers in the league doing that more often than the veteran ones once you get in the league well, for a while? A lot of this is, this is the Steelers' um, silent snap mechanism. Okay. I don't know what other teams, other have teams different teams mechanisms. Do. Yeah, right. Ronald Winters from Leary, Texas asks, when scheme and personnel don't seem to match up, what do you think is the best course of action? Um, this is the NFL. I mean, it's got a salary cap. You've got a seven-round draft. Uh, and the salary cap obviously limits what you can do in free agency, trades, those kind of things, because everybody has to be paid. So um, that's practice squad guys, IR guys, all that kind of stuff has to fit under the salary cap. And 
you know, it's not like Nick Saban in Alabama <laughs> right. where you get, you know, you lose all these players and win a national championship. You know, six guys go into the NFL <laughs> in the first round. You're off even your, better next year. Off, right, offense. <laughs> and you bring in, you know, 15 five-star recruits. Uh, it doesn't work that way. So you're, you're, uh, you're limited by the salary cap. You're limited by the number of draft picks. And if you're a good team, playoff team, you pick at the end. Okay, so that to me is – uh, sits up, sets up a situation where in the NFL scheme has to cater to the personnel. You can't do it the other way because if you want to run something, for example, someone told me one time, you know, why don't the Steelers switch to a 4-3? Been a 3-4 team since Chuck Noll made that decision in 1982 or 81, whenever it was. It would take maybe five years to adjust your personnel from a 3-4 defensive scheme to a 4-3 defensive scheme. And if you happen to be a coach on that team that decides to make that switch, you might not have a job by the time... By the time it finally comes to fruition. Right. So, uh, you know, it's just not practical. You have to... The scheme, you know, all the scheme stuff, uh, it sounds good. It might look good on the chalkboard in the meeting rooms when you're drawing it up. But it it has to take advantage of the personnel on hand because in the NFL it's difficult to to undergo a wholesale change of a roster in terms of personnel. Doug Hornman from Mesa, Arizona asks, when are the Steelers going to start looking at their strength and conditioning program? Three season-ending ACL tears last year and four hamstring injuries in one game cannot be passed off as normal bumps and bruises of doing business. Um, Okay, uh, Doug, um, I'm not a doctor. Um, and I don't even play one on podcasts, <laughs> but I did a little bit of looking into this. Oh, WebMD. No, I actually <laughs> talk, I actually talked to someone who um, you know pays his bills by doing this. Uh, ligaments tear sometimes. You cannot do anything with conditioning to make ligaments stronger. They're not muscles. You can't build them up. You can't make them stronger. You can't toughen them up. Uh, it's it's a it's, oftentimes it's a torque thing. Speed and size, um, you get the body moving in one way at a certain amount of speed and, um, you know, mass is whatever that Einstein thing was, equals MC squared. Yeah, that, that's in, yeah right. Yeah. I'm not going to play a physicist on the uh, podcast. Okay, so. thanks. Um, so you can't do anything about ACL tears. They happen. And uh, because if, if you could, then you'd have to fire the entire Ravens training staff because they lost J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, which were their three uh, three best running backs, and starting cornerback Mark, Marcus Peters to ACL tears since the start of training camp this year, late July. Groin pulls, um, you know, there, there's, there's some things you can do, uh, but there are also um, certain people who whose body makeup makes them prone to soft tissue injuries. Uh, it could be they may need to uh, change their method of stretching, uh, change maybe their off-season workout and do less um, strength uh, and maybe more flexibility. Um, but, you know, sometimes these things just happen. I, I It's it's unfortunate, but, um, you know, it's it, you can't look at the uh, – you can't look at the strength guy the strength and conditioning coordinator and point the finger at him. It's the NFL. It's the sport that has the highest risk of injury right. out of any of the sports. Look at every every week on uh, NFL.com, 
there's a story uh, talking about the injuries right. and their impact. And it's always, you know, 25, 30 inches long. And it's every team. So Team coming into Heinz Field this Sunday, the Broncos, three of their wide receivers are missing. Should they fire their strength and conditioning coach because they can't get a wide receiver on the field? I mean, you could apply it to any team in the NFL. Yes. And if you did that, no strength and conditioning coach would have a job. David Bystry from Mentor, Ohio. While I watched Pitt lose to Western Michigan, the announcer stated that Heinz Field had new turf installed that week. If I remember correctly, the Roonies went with a hybrid-type turf a few years ago. With several groin pulls and hamstrings this past 10 days, would the new turf be looked at at a part of the reason for that problem? Um, the playing surface at Heinz Field is natural grass, has been for well over a decade. That um, hybrid surface, they used that, I think, for the first couple of years uh, at Heinz Field, and then um, they got rid of it because you could not resod. Uh, the surface in the middle of a season because it had the natural grass woven in among the synthetic fibers. Uh, and as the questioner mentions, uh, Pitt plays there, the Steelers play there, and high school, there are some high school games there, championship yeah. rounds. Um, you know, that was very important to Dan Rooney, that, that having um, Heinz Field be a community asset, and um, the natural grass thing to him was a deal breaker. There would not be um, anything but that. So uh, what the uh, announcer should have said was that the field was recently resodded. Um, and since it's grass, I mean, there are, again, it's, it's football, it's the NFL, injuries are going to happen, but I don't think you can blame the, the grass for that situation. No, not at all. In fact, I would say the Heinz Field grass turf hybrid has looked the best it has in recent years. Oh, yeah. They do a great job of turning that thing around when Pitt plays at home and the Steelers are the very next day. All right. I mean, the the, the one, I, and I forget which weekend it was, the Steelers had a home game, and the day before I was watching college football on TV, uh, University of Florida's turf. They're in north, northern Florida. Didn't look as good as Heinz Field. No, Heinz Field's turf has looked phenomenal, especially over the past couple of seasons. Brian Fiore from Crivitz, Wisconsin asks, can you please clarify how bringing a player off injured reserve works? When a player is placed on IR, is there a limitation to the amount of time he can remain there without ruining the chances of returning to the 53-man roster? If Zach Banner waited another three or four weeks, would he still be eligible to return? Um, okay. What we need to remember with IR coming off, it's there's a minimum amount of time you have to miss. There is no maximum amount of time that then makes you ineligible, if you understand what I mean. It, you, uh, okay, let me just explain it from the top. Okay, you put Zach, and I'll you just use his name so it makes it easy to right. understand. Zach Banner is on the 53-man roster and then goes on IR. That means he has to miss a minimum of three games before he is even eligible to come off and start practicing. Now, after three games he misses, you don't have to activate him or have him start practicing right away. You may decide he needs to miss six, seven, ten, whatever it is. But once you bring him back to practice, then you have 21 days to evaluate his readiness and make a decision. At the end of those 21 days that he has been practicing or eligible to be practicing, uh, you have uh, – Three choices. Put him on the 53-man roster. Uh, leave him on IR, which then means um, he cannot come back at all the rest of the year, including playoffs. 
or cut him. Now the last one, you know, never happens because if you if you went through the uh, jump through the hoops to put this guy on IR, he obviously is someone you want to have around. So you're not going to cut him. So the two choices are you either uh, bring him up, put him on the 53-man roster, or uh, you leave him on IR where he will stay for the rest of the season. Banner been on the roster for a week since being reinstated, practicing with the team, so they have about 14 days left before they have to make that decision. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Eric McKelly or Maselli, sorry, Eric, if I mispronounced that, from Phoenix, Arizona, asks, when was the last time the Steelers had a draft pick in the top 10 of the first round, and what about the last time they had the number one overall pick? Um, okay, the last time the Steelers had a top 10 draft pick was 2000. They picked uh, Plexico Burris, wide receiver, eighth overall. Not bad. Okay, now if you look at all going all the way back, Chuck Noll was hired in 1969. So that's like 53, 54, I don't know how many drafts, 53 drafts, let's say. Uh, In all that time, the Steelers have had a total of six other drafts where they selected in the top ten. Wow. Just to run them down for you, 89, they picked running back Tim Worley, seventh. 87, they picked Rod Woodson, tenth. 86, they picked guard John Reinstra, ninth. 71, they selected receiver Frank Lewis, eighth. 1970 was the only year they had the number all number one overall pick. They picked a guy you might have heard of named Terry Bradshaw. Decent pick. And 69 in 1969 they picked uh, Joe Green fourth. Another decent pick. So just just to put this in context a little bit, um, people were talking about now the Browns. Boy, what a good roster they have. Okay, well let's look at where the Browns have been drafting <laughs> since 1999 when they returned to the NFL after, you know, being on hiatus a little bit because Modell took the team to Baltimore. In that amount of years, since 99 to 2021, the Browns have had 13 top 10 picks, including four number one overall picks in 22 years. So, you know, when you're picking, let's say, sixth in the first round, you're also picking sixth in the second round, sixth in the third round. So... Um, a team that is bad over a long period of time, um, they have to be bad to be picking that high over a long period of time. But at some point, the riches have just accumulated sufficiently, and then you're pretty good. And I think that's where the Browns are now. This answer is just another testament in the Steelers' greatness to only have that few top 10 picks in their history since the 70s. Only one time picking number one overall. And you pick probably the second best quarterback in your franchise's history behind Big Ben, four time Super Bowl winner. Absolute slam dunk, the only time they've ever picked number one overall. An incredible franchise, and thank your lucky stars, you don't root for the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Tom Bruzda from Wildemar, California. I'm still having trouble understanding how the game clock works after an incomplete pass or a player running out of bounds outside of the five minute mark in each half. Most times I see the clock start when they spot the ball ready for play, but there are other times when the clock doesn't start until the next play is run. Please disregard timeouts and penalties in your answer. Okay. Uh, in an effort to you know, cut down on the length of games, this is many years ago, uh, they instituted a new set of rules. Uh, first thing to, cl- to clarify, anytime it's an incomplete pass, the clock stops, regardless of the time on the game clock. Okay, in terms of guys running out of bounds, getting pushed out of bounds, that kind of thing, the clock will restart um, when the ball is made ready for play 
in those situations except for the last uh, two minutes of the first half and the last five minutes of the second half. In those situations, out of bounds for any reason, stops the clock until the next snap of the ball. Graham Anderson from Plymouth, Kentucky asks, what would your thoughts be on adding a second bye week to the season? 17 games over 18 weeks seems a very tall order give, given the rate of attrition from injuries across the league, not just with the Steelers. Um, okay, I'm, not, I, I'm never opposed to more weeks off. You know, that's Helps just, us too, right? Just in my nature, yeah. <laughs> um, but just to understand, there already kind of is a second bye now in the uh, schedule, the 21, starting in 2021. And it happened between the end of the, excuse me, the end of the preseason and the start of the regular season when they shortened the preseason from four games for everybody to three games for everybody except for the two lucky teams to be in the Hall of Fame game. So if you look at the Steelers' schedule, um, but the preseason finale was played August 27th in Carolina. The regular season opener in Buffalo was September the 12th. So do a little arithmetic and remember what the nuns taught me, 30 days has September, April, <laughs> June, and November. Um, the Steelers had 16 days uh, between the preseason finale and the start of the regular season. So that's kind of a second buy for everybody as it is. Um, but understand this. Any kind of adjustment uh, of this, either either eliminating or shortening that uh, time off or adding another buy to the regular season um, schedule is going to have to be done with the, with consent from the broadcast partners who pay a lot of money. A lot of money. It's a lot. A lot. It's a lot. A lot of money. Um, because uh, the broadcast partners have no interest in this regular season starting on Labor Day weekend. Uh, they believe their numbers show that people prefer to be still doing summer things. The last vestiges of summer right. are happening there. And a lot yeah. of times people are just coming back from vacations, right. the shore, whatever. So uh, TV numbers were always down that weekend. And so the regular season will not start uh, unless the networks decide they don't care or they want it to start Labor Day weekend. It's not going to start until the Thursday after Labor Day, which is when that game between the Super Bowl champions, defending Super Bowl champions, and the sacrificial lamb takes place, and then the rest of the league opens that following Sunday. I think it's also important to mention as far as rest is concerned, each team plays a Thursday night game now, so I get it's a short week on the front end of that, but you get 10-plus days off after that, so little rest there as well following your Thursday night and, game. Uh, like I said, broadcast partners, what do you think? A lot of, of money. money. A, lot a lot of money. Paul Lukacs from Vienna, Virginia. Over the past few years, the offensive coordinators have adapted their play calling to reduce the number of hits on Ben Roethlisberger. The Steelers have both down-the-field threats and possession receivers. Has the protect Ben approach now limited our offense and will require a new offensive coordinator mindset to bring a complete game plan back? Um, okay, let me start with this. Uh, when you have a quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger, who is one of only 12 in NFL history to win more than one Super Bowl, uh, the protect the quarterback game plan should be in place all the time. Okay, Protecting the franchise quarterback should be job one for every uh, offensive coordinator in the NFL. Um, and it's not unique to the Steelers either because you know they've had the protect Tom Brady game plan in uh, for over a decade 
whatever team he's been playing for. Uh, the protect Aaron Rodgers game plan in Green Bay. Uh, the Colts had the protect Peyton Manning game plan for a long time, but then they messed up, got away from it with Andrew Luck, and he retired after only six seasons because he was sacked 174 times. So protecting the franchise quarterback and throwing the ball down the field are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Uh, and if an offensive coordinator believes that he should be sent to look for another job, uh, that should be why. Uh, so you start with protecting the quarterback. You count how many guys you need for that. Then you subtract one from that because that's um, the quarterback. And then the number that you have left is how many guys you can send out down the field. That's the way the game plan should be operated. McLean Jackson from Roy, Utah asks, if the Steelers are forced to play another quarterback or choose to, would they most likely play Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins, or is there a possibility of an external solution? Ah, uh-huh, the external solution question. That would, I, I think, would be a reference towards either, gee, I don't know, signing Cam Newton or trading <laughs> for Aaron Rodgers or maybe getting the Houston Texans to part with Deshaun Watson. Uh, and the just to you know, let's continuing to go down the yellow brick road here towards fantasy land. Uh, the trading deadline <laughs> is 4 p.m. on um, November the second. Th- yes, so um, so there's no possibility of a, an external solution. Let me just throw that out there. Um, and if you saw the preseason finale against Carolina, you would realize that Dwayne Haskins Eesh. is not ready. For NFL regular season football, so right, he played um, a majority of starters on that Panthers defense. Yes, and it did not go well. Did not go well. So, uh, keeping in keeping with the subtraction theme uh, of this answer, uh, that leaves you with Mason Rudolph. Uh, he's been the backup quarterback for the Steelers. He still is the backup quarterback for the Steelers. He's the only other guy with a helmet on game day. So, if it's not Ben, it's either Mason or. Who knows, McLean, if you got a good right arm, they may look at you too. I'm going to break the rules a little bit to end things here and be a little bit of a bad boy and ask my own question, if that's okay <laughs> with you. I'm going to channel Steelers Nation because I think there's a question that's inevitably going to come across your desk labs in the near future. So let's get in front of it. Tom Opferman from Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania <laughs> asks, I just recently saw on the NFL Network that the Patriots have cut former Defensive Player of the Year Stephon Gilmore. Being just two years removed from his Defensive Player of the Year performance, the Steelers should definitely go out and sign him, right? 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 Um, well, I don't know what they're going to pay him with. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't think Stephon Gilmore would play for like, uh, you know, a lifetime of uh, free cheesesteaks at Permanis. <laughs> so I would. Uh, <laughs> well, that's I'm trying to I, I try and always you know make a personal connection with the thank you the question. Um, <laughs> It seems that um, Stephon Gilmore, according to reports, and I have no direct knowledge of this, so I'm just going to have to pass along what other people have been writing and saying about this. Um, the Patriots, Stephon Gilmore wanted an, an, a contract extension. The 2021 season is the final year uh, of the contract that he signed uh, with New England that was a five-year, $65 million contract that had $40 million in guaranteed salary. 31 million of which is guaranteed at signing. So 
This is not a bargain basement acquisition. It is, this is not acquiring a Kello Witherspoon for a right. fifth-round pick in the 2023 NFL draft. Okay. So the Steelers don't have – and then, you know, to sign him now, you have to pay him now. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't – you don't get to say, well, when the cap goes up next spring or that next take winter, care of you. that won't take care of you. That's not going to work. Okay. So there's no money, first of all. Uh, Stephon Gilmore, though, also – uh, injured a quad. He had a quad injury, and New England said that they would do a deal with him, but they wanted to see him play uh, after the, he believed that his quad injury uh, was healed so that they could see what they were getting. But Gilmore had no interest in that, and so uh, he went on the PUP list uh, until they came to a contract agreement. And the Patriots weren't interested in doing a contract agreement until he came off the PUP list and played for a little bit. So you have a little bit of a disconnect there between what the team wanted, what the player wanted. Um, now, I don't know what, you know, an interested team, would they cave to Gilmore's request that he get paid before they see whether the quad injury right. has healed and he's still – a guy who's only two two years removed from being a defensive player of the year, um, or are they going to want to get some sort of uh, kick the tires thing um, before they spend the kind of money that I was just talking about there earlier with all those uh, you know eight figures of guaranteed money? So um, that's not going to happen in Pittsburgh. Uh, I don't know if it's going to happen in the league. There may be somebody. Would Gilmore take a one-year prove-it deal? That's what I'm worried about. Um, well, I mean, I, you know, again, why wouldn't he just do that with the Patriots? Well, I say worried about that because just a hunch, he's going to end up on the Tampa Bay Globetrotters. I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> they just collect, it seems, every piece of talent. They just went out and got Richard Sherman last week, and right now I'm seeing headlines, Buccaneers kick, might be the front runner for Stephon Gilmore. Brady and Gilmore reunited. Well, I mean, again, I don't know what their cap situation is. It would have to be that one-year deal that you're talking about. They, but, they could not afford to pay him all that money that New England was supposed um, to. Yeah, I, but again, I mean, is, is uh, you know, Richard Sherman was not coming off an injury like this. So, um, I don't know, maybe. But uh, <laughs> there's, only one, there's only one player on Tampa Bay that matters. He wears number 12, and they can collect whatever they think they want to collect. But if they, they don't have number 12... Um, they got no shot. Labs, great as always. Always a pleasure to sit down with you and get these and answers. And tell that from Offerman him. guy, no more questions from him. He's a wise okay, guy. Okay, I'll tell him no more. If I see it come <laughs> across my desk, I'll He's delete a smart it. Alec, yeah. yeah, he really is. That'll do it for us on this week's edition of Asked and Answered. Thanks as always for giving us a listen. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Offerman. We will be back again next week.